everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is a true visionary in the world of business and personal development. As the president and owner of Crosscutter Enterprises, he is a sought-after expert in strategy, performance, process improvement, change management, and personal development, just to name a few. He is also a published author who has published over six books with more to come. It's with great privilege I welcome John Knotts to the show. John, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite. Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you here. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and throw in a fun fact that most people don't know about you. Well, I'm a professional, <laughs> personal and professional business coach and consultant. Sometimes I operate as a fractional COO. With my wife, we own a total of five businesses, two for-profit and three non-profit. Of course, we're married, but no kids. Now, I dodged that bullet on Father's Day. So, But uh, the people that work for us, we own a horse farm. And the people that work for us are kind of like our kids. So we really, they live here on the property and we kind of see them as our all family. I started pretty much in the Air Force, my professional career. I worked before that, but we, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I started out in the Air Force in 1988 and God, it was a long time ago. And did 21 years, went to go work for Booz Allen Hamilton, top 10 consulting firm in the nation. And I was with them for three years. And then I went to go work for USAA here in San Antonio, Texas. And I was with them for seven years. I actually started my business in 2008 when I retired out of the Air Force, and I've been running it ever since, sometimes as a side hustle and sometimes a full-time business. And I work um, a lot with Gemba Academy as a senior coach with them, helping them coach people going through Lean Six Sigma certification programs. I also help them develop and improve their certification programs. As far as a, a fun fact, I'm, I'm kind of an open book. Uh, my book, Becoming Unbelievably Successful, talks a lot about my life and some of the things that I learned along the way and some of the stupid mistakes I did in the world. But a lot of people don't know that back in high school, I met a good friend of mine now for 40 plus years. His name is Kevin Bogucki. And I remember sitting down in study hall across from him, and he was working on this thing. I didn't know what it was. And he was building a, basically building a game, a role-playing game. And ever since then, I have been helping him as he has adjusted and built and tested and everything this 
role-playing game, which is called The Savage Soul, which he officially released last year. I helped him release it on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. You can actually buy it. And the new version is out for this year. So he made some adjustments, but we've been playing that pretty much every month. The small group of us play testing all of the rules and adjusting things. And a lot of people don't know that, but it's, I think it adds to my creative nature. It's actually what led me to write my first book, which was a post-apocalyptic sci-fi fantasy called One Dead Marine. And it was all about the playtesting activities that I did with a character in that early, early uh, program. So I probably should have introduced you as coach consultant and professional gamer. <laughs> that would have been a good one. So John, I have read all of your books and, and I always keep becoming unbelievably successful next to me. And it changed the total dynamic of how I actually read books. Before I, I read books to try and get through a book every week because of the entire saying that every CEO reads a book a week or a book every two weeks. And so I thought, well, you know what? If I read a book a week, I'm going to become so smart because all the CEOs are smart and that's what they love to do. And uh, it didn't really work that way because I wasn't retaining much of the information that I read. And I reread books. I'll go back through them. Some of my favorites are right on my top shelf, like Good to Great and Think and Grow Rich, the standard books that most of us have already read. But when I read Becoming Unbelievably Successful, it changed the dynamic because it took me a lot longer than a week to read it. I think it took me two, two months to actually get through the book. And I remember sending you a message saying that I was like a giddy little kid with a number two pencil working on the worksheets after each section. And that's what I found really impressive about the book is that each section had actionable items that you could utilize and implement into your life, which I haven't had in a book before. I know Atomic Habits was kind of, it was, it was similar, right? It has actionable items, but nothing to this degree. And it's a pretty big book, but each of the sections was really easy to absorb. So I really like the way you, you, you wrote the book. Now, what inspired you to write a book like that, knowing that most successful people read a book in a week? <laughs> well, that's actually, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why the format of that book is designed that way, because I've sat across the table from many business owner, president, and CEO who proudly tell me about the three books that they're currently reading and how they read 52 plus books a year. And I just, I sit there and I question, well, I, I also observe their behaviors because what they do is they grab the concept of the book and they shove it down their employee's face. And then next week they grab the concept of a book and they shove it down their employee's face and the employees are freaking out because they don't know what to do. It's like the, the tornado comes in the office and just blows all the papers all over the place and there, everything is like shot. Like everything I worked on is just gone. Let's move on to the next thing. And now you know where the term management flavor of the week comes from. Because leaders believe that they have to, they have to be learning. And that's not a bad belief. Lifelong learning is a leadership trait. But that's not learning. That's just absorbing the high level 
items off of something and spitting it out and then moving on to the next thing. And a lot of leaders, especially the founders, the, the business owners, the CEOs, they tend to be very entrepreneurial and visionary. That's the reason why they got in that position. So the challenge is that they have to understand that they're hiring people to do a job, to focus on getting things done. And they can't do that if every week there's something new hitting them in the face that came out of a book that they've never read. Maybe the, the boss has said, you need to read this book because I've worked with those too. <laughs> but the thing is, is when I wrote this book, I had been coaching people for years. Mostly I thought I was coaching businesses, but as I worked with people in the business, I really realized that who I'm working with are individuals and I'm trying to change them so that they can run a better business because you really can't change the business. You can't change the thing. And in 2020, I actually was laid off in 2020. I was working. I went to go work for a client as their chief operating officer. And six months later, COVID hit and like millions of people around the world, I found myself sitting <laughs> sitting on the other side of a Zoom call being told, thanks for your service. So I immediately started writing a book called Business 2020, The Business World After COVID-19, which is free via PDF. And if people go to my website, crosscutter.com, they can get that. They can download it. Right after I published it, it just kind of hit me like, you know what? I really need to write a book about the stuff that I've been telling people because I think people need to know it. And the title Becoming Unbelievably Successful just kind of hit me. And in 43 days, I wrote the book, 73,000 words. Wow. I wrote that book. It just flowed. It was like, everything was just like, oh, it just makes sense. Everything that I've talked about to people over the years just kind of came out. And that's, that is the impetus of that book. <laughs> you know, and you had some time to really think about that book too, being laid off and then having COVID, everything being shut down. So you're really able to dive in. You know, I was one of those CEOs. I remember when I first read the book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko... Willicks, I think mm -hmm. is his name, the Navy SEAL. Yep. I bought a copy for every one of my operations managers. And, and instead of saying, you need to own your stuff, I said, here, read this book. And then I said, you need to own your stuff. What I love about your book is that you talk about your life story from childhood all the way up into your failures and then your successes, right? Which, which you've had, you've had quite the journey. I, I want to hear a little more about your childhood, well, I was born and raised in Michigan, Detroit area. I was actually born in Pontiac. Uh, we lived in Birmingham, Michigan, and Beverly Hills, Michigan. So, you know, like those places exist in California too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my dad was a, he was a, um, well, he went into the, the army, he was drafted in the army, and they were just about to hire him at the police department. He was a pump jock before that, you know, so he was, 
you know, filling people's car with gas and washing the windows. People used to do that in the world. They still do that in New Jersey, by the way. But when he came back out of the service, he did his three years between Vietnam and Korean War in driving a truck around the United States. He went to go work for the police department, police and fire. So public safety. So I, that's the world I knew. My dad did that his entire life. He never got a degree in anything. My mom never got a degree. She was a bookkeeper, never became a certified public accountant or got a degree in any of that. So I was the first, I was the only child, so I didn't have any siblings, but I went to college and I was kind of a screw up. I mean, I really was. I didn't really have a lot of direction. My my mom was she was awesome because she told me you can do anything you put your mind to. My wife hates the fact that my mom used to tell me that all the time because I will say, I'm going to do this. And she's like, have you ever done that before? And I said, no. Then how <laughs> you know you're going to do it? Like Because I can do anything I put my mind to. We had a leak in our house in Fair Oaks Ranch right after we moved in and the entire upstairs was just destroyed. And I ripped out all the carpeting and bought hardwood flooring and bought the equipment, watched on YouTube. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And my wife asked me after I paid a lot of money to buy all this flooring, she's like, do you think maybe we should hire a contractor? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I got this. And it came out just beautiful. A lot of attention to detail, but I, you know, that is instilled in me with my mom and very supportive. It definitely came from a middle-class family. You know, there were no issues, no adversity, Everybody says you got to overcome adversity to be successful. It's a bunch of BS, but I, I can understand how we look at these adversity stories that people are successful and we're like, ooh, you got to, you know, you have to go through adversity to be successful. But there are millions of people out there that go through adversity and aren't successful. So it is not the predetermining factor. It's just the aha story that we're like, oh, wow, like we got to pay attention to that and not the person who has been just plodding along in their life and figuring it out and, you know, has never really had a bunch of things happen to them, which kind of gets me to, and you probably read this in the book. It's a statement I use over and over again with people. Everything that has and will happen to me in my life is my fault. People don't agree with that statement, but when you own everything, I mean, everything that happens to you, when you own it, you now have taken control of it. And there was a point in my life where I recognized that I needed to stop blaming other things. And that made the world of difference to me. And I still live to that day that I got stung by a scorpion. We talked about that yesterday, but I got stung by a scorpion yesterday now, I didn't know the scorpion was there. The scorpion was just defending itself. It stung me. What could I have done differently? I could have turned the light on. I probably would have seen the scorpion on the shirt that I put on that, you know, ended up stinging me. So there's a lot of things that I, I can own in that and not blame it on the stupid scorpion that I ended up smashing into the carpeting <laughs> with my shoe. <laughs> so it's, I mean, this is a, I, and trust me. As a kid, I wasn't 
I wasn't like that. I was what I would refer to as the movable middle. I really didn't have a lot of focus from school, you know, because I wasn't in all the slow classes and I wasn't in the super smart classes. So I just kind of did whatever. I found that, you know, you can get away with all kinds of stuff in school and nobody really cares. And I went through until college where nobody really cared, you know, just, just get a D and pass, you know, like you'll be fine. And I ended up learning that that wasn't the way to do things. So your, your mother said you can do anything you put your mind to. A lot of people will misinterpret that, that quote or that saying and think that they can just manifest something by thinking about it, but not you, you take action, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, it's the law of causality, isn't it? Law of action. Um, there's a few, there's 12 universal laws that I focus on. They're in the book. They're in the book for a reason because they, they just drive everything in your life. And whether you realize it or not, it's happening. Now I've, I've watched the movie, the secret. I've read a lot of, you know, stuff, especially more recently on like the law of success and, and just believe in something and it will manifest itself. Well, that's a bunch of junk. If you don't take action, then it will never happen unless you just are dumb luck. Because otherwise, you're not doing anything. The concept of the law of attraction is that if I want something, let's say I want a million dollars, okay? I want a million dollars. I don't just sit in my bedroom in the dark, hoping that I'm going to get a check for a million dollars. Somehow I'm going to have a million dollars. I have a, I want a million dollars. Okay. What is it going to take? What do I have in my bank account right now? I got a thousand dollars in my bank account. So what is it going to take to get me to a million dollars? How much money do I currently make on a monthly basis? How much money do I actually take home after <laughs> spending it, you know, on a monthly basis? How do I have to change my life? Okay, let me take a step. Ooh, that's action. You start doing things and you start telling people, I want a million dollars. I want to make a million dollars. I want a million dollars in my bank account. And you're doing things that actually will earn you more money, will actually feed that bank account. That's when the, the doors start to open. One of my goal areas, and it talks about this in the book, is being a speaker. And I have been in Toastmasters for 23, going on 24 years. I speak regularly at a lot of different organizations. I get on podcasts and speak. And when you do these things, then suddenly doors open. Just two weeks ago, I get an email from the American Society for Quality, the local chapter. Would you be willing to speak in September at our meeting? Absolutely. What would you like me to speak on? Well, what topic would you like to speak on? Well, let's talk on becoming unbelievably successful. You know, I just wrote the book, so <laughs> might as well talk about that. And then <laughs> not even a week later, through executive book review, we get an email. All of the faculty members got the email. We have somebody that dropped out on September 20th, and we need somebody to fill that slot for our wine and cheese night. And I emailed back the organizer and said, look, if you need somebody, I can do it. But if somebody really wants it because I have one in December, 
then they can have it. He said, I'll let you know at the end of the tomorrow. And sure enough, he he contacted me and said, nobody stepped up. But you see, because I'm doing when the doors open, the opportunities there, people know that you can do certain things. They'll come to you and they'll ask you. And that's how the law of attraction works with the law of action and the law of cause and effect. Well, great point. So why did you want to start speaking? Why was that a goal of yours? In 98, I discovered what I refer to as my purpose. It was a Venn diagram, later called the purpose diagram. And now now today, people call it the ikigai. Ikigai meaning purpose in Japanese and your purpose. And it, it was never that. It just, it's, it evolved over time because people started calling it and now it's just commonly referred to as an Ikigai. That Venn diagram has four circles and in those circles are what you do, what you're good at doing, what you love doing, what people need and what people are willing to pay for. And in the center of that, when you have identified the same thing in all of those circles, when you can identify that, then in the center of that becomes essentially your purpose in life. Well, that was the first step back in 1998. I think I was 33 years old at the time, and I had just retrained into manpower and quality from being a cop in the Air Force, and I absolutely loved what I was learning I wasn't very good at it yet, but I absolutely loved it. And I was like, this is something that I want to do. And I know people need it and I can, you know, I can get good at this. Two years later in 2000, I started with Toastmasters. And by this time, any nonprofit organization I get involved with, I always rise up to a leadership role. So I ended up on the leadership team, probably like secretary or something like that. But I was at one of the leadership meetings, planning meetings that we would have. And there was a senior NCO expat that was retired and living in Germany. And he said, I won't be at the next meeting because my wife and I are going on a cruise. Well, I had been on one cruise in my life. (laughs) And of course, being young and dumb, I said, I love cruising. (laughs) Like I knew what I was talking about. And he looked me dead in the face and said, my wife and I go on six to eight cruises a year and the cruise company pays for it. And I was like, how does that happen? (laughs) And he told me that they, they paid him with a cruise to give two motivational speeches for each cruise. And I started thinking about my, my mission and my purpose that I had come up with, with that Venn diagram two years ago. I'm like, how in the world could I get somebody to pay me to live the life I want to live doing the things that I love to do, fulfilling my purpose. And I broke it down and I started writing things out. And I said, well, you know, basically I could go speak and teach and consult with major companies and they would pay me because I know people get paid like that. They had an example sitting right in front of me. They would pay me for that, for that knowledge. And I said, okay, 
what would they pay for? And I started to rattle off things. Education, that's going to be the highest level is PhD. I didn't have an edu- I didn't have a degree. I didn't even have a associate's degree at this time. But I was like, I need a PhD. And I need the experience. I was brand new in the career field, only been doing it for two years. Learned about it back in 1990. But I really wasn't all that competent in it yet. So I'm going to need the experience. I need certifications because those are just coming out in 2000. So I knew about like Six Sigma and project management, PMI certification. I knew about these. I knew I like, well, I'm going to need that. And I knew about the power of networking because I was involved in military networking organizations like Association for Strategic Police and the Air Force Sergeants Association, very active with them, Non-Commissioned Officers Association and Veterans of Foreign Wars, and very engaged. And I saw the power of the networks. Now, I didn't have any networks outside of the military, but I knew I was going to need to build that. I knew that if somebody ever was a popular speaker somewhere, then they would always have a book to sign afterwards. So I was like, well, I need to be an author. I'd never written a book and I had no idea what to write about. And I determined that if I was going to get up in front of people and teach and speak, I better be good at it. And my goal is to get my distinguished Toastmaster certification, which I will probably do this Toastmaster year and get accredited speaker certification and then move on to National Speakers Association accreditation. But it really is in, and everything has been in the journey of getting there, the learning that goes with it, because you don't just go from having no degree to a PhD. There are steps that you have to follow to get there. And a lot of people, we want it fast. So we make it up. We, you know, fake it to our, we make it. And that's not really a good strategy. You really have to lay out the structure. And that's the reason why that structure is there. Now, structure is something that, well, systematic processes and structure is something that you're extraordinary at. We talk about you wanting to to become a nationally accredited speaker, but there are a million other things that you have already accomplished. Like you've written over six books. How many more books do you have in the works right now? About 20. About 20. (laughs) How many articles have you written for Forbes and other? I have... My 35th article right now is going through the proofreading process with Forbes. I've been featured with Forbes in their expert voices close to 150 times since 2019. We've got articles with several different magazines and guest blogging with other organizations. And I have articles that are with magazines that don't even exist anymore that uh, I probably will reintroduce through Medium or something like that. But plus, I post every day on LinkedIn. Every single day since 2018, I post. I took a break because the company I was working with asked me to back in 2019. And the day that I got laid off in 2020, I posted and I have posted every day since then. And then you have well over a hundred coaching clients. About 116 right now. Wow. So that is why you are a success incubator, which is your <laughs> official title. 
So where did that title come from? I made it up. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like literally I was just thinking about what is I that I do. My vision, my personal vision is to leave nothing in my wake yet but success. That means that from the moment that I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, everything that I do is designed to promote success in others. That could be through books, articles, speaking, posting, having one-on-one -on -one conversations. It doesn't matter what the, what the format is. The, always the focus is, am I giving value that somebody can walk away with and say to themselves, that was a really worthwhile conversation. I'd love to have another one. And, and I've had people that tell me like, oh man, Pat Witty, somebody that I hope that you interview on this show at some point, Pat Witty would say, every time I come to see you, it's like my mind is blown. <laughs> and that's, I think is really important that we are constantly providing value and not taking from people, but giving. So I'm always trying to share opportunity to others and, you know, put their name. And if I see somebody that like, oh, this would be a great connection for Joe, then I want to put Joe in front of that person. That's what I see as incubating success in others, growing that success in others. A lot of people get it kind of mixed up because I think I'm like a business incubator and I'm raising money and <laughs> that's not what it is. It's all about incubating the success in others through all of the activities that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, and that that's what I found really impressive about you before I, I became one of your coaching clients. And before you and I even really had a formal introduction, I noticed uh, that you provided so much knowledge and resources for free without even being asked to everybody. I mean, it's just, it's just a treasure trove of knowledge that you emit through your posts and through your blogs and through your LinkedIn posts daily from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. What does your day look like? How do you fit all of that into one day? Well, I have a routine every morning, which includes typically writing my post on my phone for LinkedIn every morning, which really amazes a lot of people. <laughs> like, how in the world do you do that? Because I've, I've done the, you know, planning it out and pre-writing posts and having them ready. I actually sometimes do, you know, pre-write or pre-create posts, especially if I'm doing something like a document post or something of that nature. Then my, my schedule is very specifically laid out on a, on a form. So, and this is something I teach in the book, but I have a, a sheet. It's a weekly planner. And over the years I have adjusted and adjusted it to meet my requirements, but I give people the, the, you know, the direction for this to do it so that every day I am looking at the things that I do. Are they moving the needle on my goals? And if they're not moving the needle on my goals, then why am I doing that? A lot of people, they think, oh, you're so busy, but I'm really not. I mean, my coaching generally starts at 830 in the morning and it runs till five. All of my coaching clients, they all set up their own appointments with me. So 
they have a Calendly link and they set it up based on what's available on the schedule. And the calls are, they're, they're scheduled for 15 minutes. But if I have availability, sometimes they run over. Sometimes they don't really need to talk about a lot. And we just, you know, it's a six minute call and sometimes they never use them. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it's not like my day is extremely packed. I mean, it's full, it's busy. And when I have time, I'm going to read responses to my com, you know, comments on my post, uh, other people's posts. I'm going to comment on stuff. I'm going to engage with people because it's a learning opportunity for me. I kind of like, I decide, like I have a list right now of all the things that need to get done here in September. I've got four speaking engagements. I have four articles that I need to write. I have a, a signing, a book signing on September 16th over at the mom and public library. And I have my own personal planning activity. That's going to go on on the 23rd and the 24th uh, my own planning conference that I do every quarter. So I, I lay these things out so that I structure my week, my day, my month, whatever it might be. Everything is structured and some things are required, like getting my hair cut or going and doing shopping. I do all the cooking nice at home. So I, I make breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> if we're not going out to eat, but I'm just, I'm in charge of my life. I control it and I've taken control of it. I, I worked with a first sergeant. He was a good friend of mine. His name, his nickname was Rip, Rip Calhoun. <laughs> and I remember one, he went on vacation for like a week. He didn't go on vacation very much because he was busy. And he came back and he had well over a thousand emails unread in his, in his email. Nowadays, this is like standard, right? But back then an email was kind of new and, you know, it really wasn't like normal to have that much, especially unread. And he highlighted all of them and pressed the delete button. <laughs> and he says, if it's important, they'll get back to me. <laughs> and he would always say to me, he says, I don't manage time. Time manages me. Oh, well. And I, I looked at his, that attitude and I was just like, no, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take charge of my life and I'm going to do it on my schedule. And that way I will not be like that where I'm just so overwhelmed that I got to press the delete button on thousands of emails and ignore people that are, you know, important. And Rip was a good friend, so, but it's, it was a life lesson that I I've taken with me ever since then. And it, I, whenever somebody tells me that they're too busy in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, you're not. You have chosen to do something else not this. And that's why you're too busy. That's a great point. I'm getting better at that every single day. And that's, that's how I've begun to find balance in my life and scheduling things uh, such as rest and retreat. And I was just talking to a friend yesterday where you have to create a routine inside of your routine, which I've been learning from you. You don't state it that way, but Everything you do, whether you're on vacation, which we'll talk about now, or do at home, you're still waking up at the same time, you're still reading, you're still writing, and that's that's balance for you. 
Now, how many vacations do you take a year and how do you find rest and retreat? What is it that you like to do? Well, we don't take a lot of vacations. My wife has a very busy job as an in-house lawyer working for a major insurance company. So we don't get a lot of opportunities, even though she has unlimited PTO, so we can walk away anytime we need to. But when COVID happened, I love to cruise now. So, you know, when I said as a young, a young NCO in the Air Force, and I said, well, I love cruising. <laughs> Back then I had been on one. Now I've probably been on like 15. And there's things that I still want to do. Like I want to go to Hawaii. I've never done that. I would like to take a cruise up to the northeast of the United States especially when all the colors are changing in the trees. I just love that. I think that would be really cool. Actually, we're going to go in February. I'm going to go with my mom and her boyfriend on a cruise in the Caribbean. I've been in the Caribbean way too many times, but <laughs> but I love being on a cruise ship and actually was planning what they call a repositioning cruise that would have started up in Alaska and then reposition down to Hawaii. And you do a week in Alaska, and then you go down the coastline, and you do a week in Hawaii. Wow. I had it all planned out. It was going to be in August of 2020. We all know what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that plan went the way of the white buffalo. <laughs> so I, now we've gone, we went last year on a, this time of the year, we went on a European cruise. It was, it started in Italy and it moved to like France and Spain and it did a lot of things. I didn't like it as much because I hit us. We, we were in port every day. So you're like busy. There's no sea days. There's no relaxation. I like more the sea day time, but I do, I, I like traveling we do have a, a fifth wheel, but we don't use it very much. We're looking at getting a motorhome eventually as soon as maybe somebody gets an office that can lower the gas prices <laughs> instead of raise them. <laughs> Not that I'm going to talk about politics talk here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just like gas is way too expensive right now to, to do something like that. But I like, like travel. I like photography and up until moving we bought this property and it's called fine print farms and our horse farm back in 2016. And up until that time I was pretty active as a golfer and I really want to get back into golfing. That's I love golf and golf is a, there's so many lessons in golf that have to do with life and business that there's actually a, a book about tennis the guy wrote about life and the cross the cross references of life and tennis, and then he turned around and wrote a book about the cross references of life and golf, and just love those. I actually mentioned them in the bibliography of my book, but those are the things that I really like to do. It just we don't spend a lot of time traveling. We do have a hundred acre horse farm, <laughs> so. You know, it's not like I'm living in an apartment or, or uh, you know, a zero lot house or something like that. So if I want to go to the back and sit out on the dock at the lake that's dry right now, but because of the drought, but it, I can, I can do whatever I want here 
we have a skeet launcher and some shotguns and we'll take it out to the back. Dustin, my property manager has friends over and they ride dirt bikes on a dirt bike track out back that they built. I mean, whatever we want to do, we have a pool and we always have parties, a huge grill <laughs> that, you know, we fill with food. And so you don't really need to get away to get away. Well, that's exciting. Now I'm going to ask if I could park a four wheeler there. So ride the <laughs> dirt bike trail. I didn't even know you had that there. I think you'd really enjoy Hawaii because another thing about you that, that I truly appreciate is that you have a, a laid back aura about you. You're not difficult to talk to. And even though you have a lot of information that comes at you, it doesn't seem that way because it flows nicely. Yeah. And so Hawaii, you know, you could lay back and, and I could see you taking that in and absorbing that. Now, I think I know the answer to this next question in the midst of the world and the chaos and everything around us. How do you manage to stay focused? So what's my answer? Systems. Yeah. You don't stray from <laughs> your systems and yep. your processes. <laughs> I, I mean, like literally I have my binder sitting right here. <laughs> and it's a two inch thick binder and it's my plan. It's both my personal and my business plan. I have a business plan for every one of my businesses and always, always, always have and use a plan. If you want to maintain a balanced life, if you want to handle the curveballs that the world will throw at you, you have a plan. When I was laid off in 2020, you know, I sat here at the computer afterwards for about six minutes and went through all of the cycles of grief. <laughs> mm. And then I got up and I walked into my wife's office, which we, we have an office trailer on property. So we have two offices, a bathroom and a kitchenette. And I walked into her office and I told her and I said, all right, I'm going to get to work. And I came back in the office and I sat down and I cracked open my plan and said, okay, what's next? And I posted on LinkedIn and the CEO called me and he was like, what did you do? Why did you post on LinkedIn about what happened? I'm like, because I'm going to be looking for work. <laughs> and he's like, you did, we, you were the first person we told. And I'm like, hmm, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, sorry, well. not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry is exactly. And I started writing a book that day, which was business 2020 and Valentine's day of 2021 here in Texas, you know what happened. All of Texas got blanketed in, you know, the one of the worst storms we've ever had in the winter. And people were not prepared. They just weren't prepared. Now, did it cost us money? It cost us $12,000 in damages, but we were prepared. I have 40 horses on property. I can't not be prepared. So we cracked open our checklist on winter freeze and, and ran it, you know, here it comes. We're going to be prepared for it. If there's a flood, boom, we have a checklist for it. Everybody says, oh, you couldn't have planned for COVID. Well, that's just a bunch of bull because what you can do is you can plan for things that could happen like a government shutdown. Mm -hmm. And you can take things that you've planned for if you've laid out the planning well enough and you can pull out, which we did, we pulled out our checklists on things that we had planned for in our business. And we said, out of these checklists, what things do we need to pull over? And one of the things is I thought there was going to be a run on banks. So we took a bunch of cash out. That didn't happen. I didn't realize there was going to be a run on toilet paper. 
but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we had a good thing. We had a business. We had a, we buy in bulk. So, <laughs> but we ran that checklist, and since COVID, we have been at a hundred percent occupancy with a waiting list, pretty much nonstop. Because one, we had to remain open. We're one of those essential businesses because people need to feed their horses. So they have to come out and take care of their animals. I mean, we do all the feeding, but they have to be fed. So the business had to stay open. And the really nice thing about it, if you wanted to talk about social distancing, six <laughs> feet is a perfect distance between the front and the back of a horse. <laughs> so, so we didn't have to put anything down on the ground that marked out what it was. We just say, stay a horse length away. <laughs> <laughs> and you're good to go. And of course, it's 100 acres. So, you know, wearing masks outdoors, very few people needed to do that. The only thing that really changed here is that our instructors typically would, you know, like they want to get somebody's leg right in the right position. So they grab their leg and be like, here, like, like that. <laughs> couldn't really do that because you know, touching people wasn't really a good idea back then, but we were very busy and everybody wanted to get out of the house, get out of their apartment, whatever it was, because they were all cooped up and what better place to do it. That is perfect. Now, do you have a checklist for a possible AI robot takeover? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, so I actually think that's going to happen in the consulting space. I think it already is happening in the coaching and consulting space. The thing I, I've discovered, because I really delve into AI, you know this about mm -hmm. me, but I really have learned a lot. And, well, if I could give anybody any advice, it's to get smart on what's going on with artificial intelligence. Go out and use the free tools. Go to YouTube. Watch the videos on this stuff. See what's happening, because it's just amazing. And... I think what's going to happen, see, right now, somebody could ask me a question, a business-related question, and I can put it into chat GPT, and it's going to give a really darn good response. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be wrong. It really isn't. The thing that it is not capable of doing right now is it doesn't really know what to do. It just knows whatever everybody else is saying to do. And my big thing is always to look at the root cause of why are we admiring these problems for 50 plus years, you know, toxic leadership, employee engagement, leadership in general, uh, business silos. That's my book, Overcoming Organizational Myopia. It's all about driving to the root cause of the issue. And AI doesn't understand that because they've never lived it. They only research it from everybody else's stuff that they've said. So where it can give really good information from a encyclopedic perspective, which, you know, to some people are going to be like, wow, you know, like you're so smart, you machine. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't know really what works and what doesn't work. And I do know that because I've been doing this for officially as a career for 25 years but I've been involved in improving things for 33 years. So I know what works and what doesn't work. And AI doesn't know that. Not yet. Well, they, they definitely could program the model to learn these things. Once they put the chip in my brain. You know? Oh yeah. Then, then you're unstoppable. <laughs> then, then we're done. 
<laughs> Come on, Elon. Let's get this done. <laughs> yep. If if you're listening, <laughs> of course now, he's in, listening. This is a very good podcast. I I know I know. And in, in today's world, many people are struggling to find purpose or meaning in their lives. What would be some advice that you would give someone who is in high school or college right now? Because I know I know your book was written for your high school self to help them find purpose or meaning buy a copy of becoming unbelievably successful at amazon.com <laughs> the thing is is that you have to you really have to understand what your mission purpose and vision are and i even say it in in the book and on the back of the book that you know over 80 percent of the people in the world do not know what their purpose is. You didn't know what your purpose is when I started talking to you and you're 47. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know until I was 35 years old, 30, 33 to 35 years old. I didn't know what my purpose was. I was doing good stuff, but it was just anything that was happening was really just dumb luck. I would just happen to be in the right place at the right time, which does happen. I learned later that really what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the right place at the right time by being by the law of action, the law of manifestation. But if you don't understand what it is that you inherently do and why you do it, then everything that you do every day is a waste of time. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. It's like a business. See, I learned all this stuff working with businesses. If a business doesn't have a strategic plan, if they don't have a mission and a purpose, then everything that they do is for naught because they don't have a reason to do it. I literally have had businesses contact me and be like, we want you to work with us. We want you to help us with X, Y, and Z. And I'll be like, where in your, where in your strategic plan is it say that you need to hire me or a coach or a consultant, but we don't have a strategic plan then you don't need to hire me because <laughs> you need to build that first. You need to build mm -hmm. your strategy. And the, the strategy is your mission, your purpose, and your vision. Now, you can have a mission and a purpose in your life, but if you don't know where you're going, your vision, your direction, your North Star, then you're just going to do a whole bunch of stuff that isn't get, isn't moving you anywhere. And that's the reason why the book is like, I even say it in the book. Like you, the only thing that you really need to read in that book is part two, three chapters, and then follow that. Mm -hmm. Everything else in the book is the color in the story. It's the stuff that, okay, I want to be better at whatever I'm doing, what are the things I should be thinking about? What should really be on my plan? In school, there's so many people that have no idea where they're going in life. I didn't. I thought I did, and then I didn't. And I thought I did, and then I didn't. But I also didn't even know about the opportunity that I had in front of me, where I am now today. It wasn't even a, wasn't even a blip on the radar until 1990. That's the big thing is... Being able to identify that and develop your direction early in life is just amazing. And that's the reason why I wrote it for myself in high school, because I was mm -hmm. a screw up. My mom would have handed it to me and I probably wouldn't have read it. <laughs> but no, actually, she gave me one book when I was a kid. And 
It was on financial management, and I still have that book today. My parents didn't read these kind of books. So you have two kids, and mm -hmm. when they're ready, you need to give them their copies of Becoming Unbelievably Successful. They need to look at the bibliography that's in that book and start using structured lifelong learning, which is talked about, I think, in Chapter 14. But And they need to learn from the books that are out there and the books that are not out there yet that are coming that will be around when they're old enough. This is the the legacy that you can leave for your kids is to teach them to learn because school's not going to do it for them. It's going to give them skills, math and English and stuff like that. Those are important, but it's not going to teach them the life lessons that they need to know as early as possible in life. You already know that they will be reading this book <laughs> and every other book on this shelf. That was a perfect segue into to my final question. What legacy do you hope to leave behind through your purpose and the work you do? Well, I leave it behind in what I write because that lasts beyond me. The books that I have written and that I will write, the articles for Forbes and other magazines, this is the kind of stuff that will last, outlast me for centuries. And somebody will discover me after I'm dead and be like, oh my God, this guy was brilliant. <laughs> we should have had him on Oprah. <laughs> Oprah, since you're listening, I'm available. Yep. <laughs> but that's the big thing when it comes to legacy. We always talk about, you know, that you've got two dates on your tombstone, but the thing that matters is the dash in the middle. Mm. And it's how you lived your life and what you did that is lasting and has its impact on others in the future. And that's the reason why I write these books. When I first came up with being an author, it was because I needed a book to sign. But I've since realized that really it's about sharing the information out there. You know, the LinkedIn posts are great. The Daily John is great. But... Mm -hmm it doesn't last. It's not like people are scrolling through my, all of my posts and reading all that, but they pick up a book and it's there. It's all there. So that's, I mean, that's one of the, that's probably my first thing. My second one, and this is, this is really important. It really, this boils down into the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset is going to look at every person that they meet from a perspective of how can I help that person? Who does that person need to be connected with? Now, I know people today that will talk about the powerful and important people that they know. They will talk about their relationships but they never introduce the people that actually need the engagement with those powerful people because they're, they're holding them close to the chest. That's a scarcity mindset at work. And if we could just break all that down and we could look at every time that you meet somebody new that you think about what person in my network would this person benefit from or what person in my network would benefit from this person before you actually think about how can I benefit from that person? 
And if I can live my life, the rest of it, that way, then I'm constantly identifying people that I think are the right connections for other people, then that's a heck of a legacy because that will last way beyond me in the relationships that they build. That's strong. The super connector. That's really strong because that, that's generate it lasts generations. It'll keep going and going. This person met because this person met John 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That's awesome. Well, if you're uh, connected to Matthew McConaughey, tell him I said, hey, we've got a spot for him on the show. He's up you know, in Austin. Really... I don't know why. We should just take a trip up there. <laughs> we'd really like to chat with him. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy that I think I've recognized. Well, you've actually met him, Mark Wittig. Mark Wittig from Wittig's Office Interiors. He's, <laughs> and he is right here in San Antonio. This man is a super connector. And we... Every year we have an author's night that we run with Executive Book Review. He's the president of Executive Book Review. And we were looking, we're always looking for a headliner, you know, somebody that's kind of a big name. And we had Chip Connolly, if you've ever read the book uh, Peak or Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. He's got a couple new books out too. He's one that's coming out. Um, he's, he's the author from that bestseller author. And he came on, on zoom last year, this year, um, we're going to get general flowers who is here in locally in San Antonio and wrote about his, his leadership history as one of the longest serving airmen in the air force and really looking forward to that. But we actually went to <laughs> went to see if we could get Ryan Holiday to be our guest speaker. So what did Mark do? Mark said, hey, I'm going to meet you and we're going to drive up to Bastrop where he has a bookstore and his office is there. And we're going to see if we can talk to him. Are you going to call him first? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so we got in the car and we drove to Bastrop and unbelievably Ryan was there and he came down and he talked to us. <laughs> that's I mean, awesome. it's like, that's like, so we just need to drive up to see Ma Matthew McConaughey and say, Hey dude, what's going on? We wanted to sit down and have lunch. <laughs> that's great. That's kind of, I've been doing that a lot uh, via email. I found out that Keanu Reeves owned a motorcycle store and that the emails from the motorcycle store go directly to him. So I sent him an email. I'm still waiting on a response, but still waiting we'll, on a see. Response. we'll see what happens. I, I identify three to five people daily that I want to talk to because that's the thing about the podcast. It's people that I enjoy talking to and hearing about their lives, you know, and that's what makes it fulfilling. Uh, and so I'll just send out random emails. And so I know I know we're pretty booked up, though, all the way up until November, but I'm still going to send them, Nick. We'll figure out a way. <laughs> Well, John, it's been great connecting with you and chatting today. If our listeners want to get in touch with you or have any questions about coaching, consulting your books or any of that, how can they get in touch? So my website is crosscutter.com. It's www.crosscutter.com. Company's Crosscutter Enterprises. And on that website, all of my publications are connected. It's kept up to date as things are released. It's always updated, updated. All of my podcasts, this podcast will be connected to it. All of my previous podcasts, some speeches that I've given maybe recorded on YouTube, but 
that's out there. So there's a lot of information that's available to people. And I know a lot of people go to the website and peruse because I look at the stats, <laughs> which is cool because that's, it's out there as a resource for people. And that is probably the best way for people to contact me is through the website. However, if they're on social media at all, John Knotts, K-N-O-T-T-S, not Don Knotts, although he is my cousin, <laughs> so you know. Is he really? Yeah, I guess it's <laughs> Or another, was he really? <laughs> that's another fun fact that you didn't know about me. <laughs> yes, we're uh, cousin five times removed or something like that, but my mom did the genealogy on that. So I'm also related to Johnny Cash. Oh, wow. That's a cool one. And it's a very close relationship it's through my grandmother. Her maiden name was Cash. Oh, that's and cool. So it was her nephew. So he's a, you know, couple, couple times removed cousin. Mm -hmm. Of course, both of them are dead. So yeah, yeah. Can't <laughs> it's not like I show. can introduce you. <laughs> I would though. <laughs> you like, you need to be on this podcast. So that's how you contact me. And, and the big thing is most engagement is on LinkedIn because it's the most engaging of the platforms right now. So find me. Perfect. And we'll, we'll upload all your information onto our show notes along with your LinkedIn website and get people connected. That way they can just click and go. Well, thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. It was great. Balanced Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Nick Galtney. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancedpurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at Balanced Purpose Podcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day. Thank you.